Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose. I'm going to try to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations. I'm going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up, get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose? Well, friends, today is an excellent day. Um, I actually won the lottery. So, yeah, uh, I wanted to tell everybody on here. Um, I, I hit it big, man. Uh, I won the lottery. Uh, my life is completely, <laughs> completely and totally changed. Um, I can't even describe to you um, what I'm feeling right now. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty insane. Um pretty insane. So I wanted to share that with you on here. I didn't post anything on social media. I didn't tell any of my friends yet. I wanted to wait uh, until I could do a podcast and release it on Sunday. Um, but yeah, I won I won big and I'm going to tell you you know, how I won big and uh, what I'm going to do with it. But first, you're going to have to sit through some Q&A to hear all of that good information. So um, first of all, man, I, I appreciate y'all uh, putting in Q&A uh, questions for q and I've had a lot of uh, good feedback from that and a lot of good participation. Really appreciate it. And, and guys, please keep doing that. Just think of questions that you want answered. Uh, you know, the silly ones, I throw them in the rapid fire. Um, the more serious ones, I do my best to answer them. Hopefully when we get some more guests flowing in, um, when we get some more guests flowing in, I can throw some of the, the more serious ones to my guests, but I think y'all kind of like hearing me pontificate on your your questions, so I think I used that word right. Uh, but we're going to start with some rapid fire. Uh, somebody asked me, what time do you usually go to bed? Um, I go to bed at about 10-ish. Uh, I try to put my phone up for bed. It doesn't always work, but go typically in bed by about 10, 10.30-ish. Depends on if football or, you know, sometimes DLN works late. Like tonight that I'm recording, she's working 2 to 10, and I'll stay up until she gets home, which is going to be about 10.20. Um, I'll have, you know, showered and all that and be ready for bed, but I'll wait until she gets home to, to go to bed. It just kind of depends. If I'm really, really tired, I'll go to bed earlier, but typically I have to stay up till about 10 10 30 that's just kind of the way it is um so yeah i don't i don't have any really hardcore routine um you know i wish i could go to sleep earlier i have a hard time doing it i've tried some of the andrew huberman stuff it, it's really hard i think he recommends like lowering light for at least like four hours before you go to bed or something that that's just kind of crazy because i mean i'm not even out of the gym half the time it may it may be i may be misquoting him he may only mean it like two hours or it may even be an hour and a half but even still it's hard because you know i'm trying to build a social media brand and so he recommends don't look at your phone for like two hours before bed well that's when i do all my extra social media work so um, i don't really have a, a good routine um but yeah just 10 10 30 ish um, so this one is actually really funny, especially because I think I know who submitted it, but it says, who would you save your dog or your least favorite family member? That is, uh, that's one of those like unanswerable questions until you're in the moment. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know. Cause the problem is you have to identify your least favorite family member. And I don't know that I've ever really thought about it. Like, I don't think anybody in my family has just done me that dirty to be like, oh man, out of all my family members, you're my least favorite. Like I've got family members that I don't like, um, but they're kind of in a group. So like, I, I don't really know. I mean, honestly, the, I've had to react in first aid situations. I've never like saved anybody's life, like what you're implying here, but I've had to react in some first aid situations. And I think that, um, my instincts would probably take over and I would probably save the, the person first. Um, that's just kind of natural. And, uh, you know, I do believe that we should value human life uh, above animal life. I know a lot of people don't agree with that and it's philosophical and you know, whatever. Um, but I, I, I do think that if I was forced to react in that situation, I would probably save the human. Um, and, and honestly, I would be kind of, if I had time to think about it, I would be scared that like, if they are my least favorite family member, then there's probably beef with their other family. And there's a very good chance that I could get sued for like being negligent. I mean, I don't know that they could actually get you on that, but if you did actually save the dog first and somebody else died, um, they may actually, you know, you could get sued for that. So I know it's not that deep, but 
it might be. So, <laughs> um, yeah, probably, probably the family member uh, as much as I love my dog, but, or, or maybe whichever one I was closest to that, that may be a better answer is, you know, situationally, am I closer to the dog or the family member? But that's a really hard question. And you forced me to think some really negative thoughts about a lot of people. So <laughs> thanks for that. Um, worst food you have ever eaten. That one's kind of hard. I hate green bean casserole. Um, that really sucks. Like traditional Thanksgiving food is probably my least favorite thing to eat ever. Like the stuffing and the green bean casserole and all that stuff or dressing, whatever the hell you call it. Um, yeah, just, just not good. Uh, I hated chicken and dumplings as a kid. That's also terrible. Um, most soups are awful. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of a picky person, but it just kind of depends. Um, yeah, that, that's also a really hard question. Worst food I've ever eaten. There's been some food that's gotten me pretty sick. Uh, I, I absolutely hate Domino's. Um, I'll, I'll eat it in a pinch if I have to, but, uh, Domino's has gotten me sick multiple times. Um, so that one case of Domino's or, well, it's been multiple times, but I can remember one specifically that it got me very sick. And, uh, so that was probably the worst food I've ever eaten in my life. Um, or some that I've cooked, <laughs> I've cooked some pretty bad stuff. So, um, so that was kind of our rapid fire. Um, I, I was going to take the break in the Q&A before we got into the more serious stuff to mention the December book club that we're going to be doing. I guess I'll just call it a book club. I wanted to think of something clever to uh, to call it, but I, I can't. So we're just going to call it a book club. We're going to be reading The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. Um, so November has started. Save a dollar a day. You can buy this book. You have absolutely no excuse not to do this. If you listen to this podcast, if you, you make time, dive into this book. Um, you know, come and listen and interact with me, you know, send me stuff on Facebook. I'll be posting like, what do you think, uh, or not Facebook, Instagram. I'll be posting like, what do you think, uh, posts, you know, um, I can't think, I guess they are posts, but to where you can comment and tell me, what did you think about this week's book podcast? And you can interact, do that. I, I think it's important. You know, people don't really meet and talk about these things a lot of times and they don't, you know, read the same books and, so really, I think it would be beneficial for a lot of y'all. And I don't think many of y'all have many excuses not to do it. I know a lot of y'all read and I know for a fact that the ones that do read haven't read this book yet. So uh, make this your December book, read 10 pages a day. That's all you got to do is read 10 pages a day. Um, make it happen and uh, follow me along or follow along with me. Uh, and I want to apologize. In like the past two episodes, my wife actually call, uh, caught it and told me how stupid I was. But I kept saying you could order it by Thanksgiving and have it by Christmas. That's just because it rolled off the tongue. I would admit you could order it by Thanksgiving and have it by December. So sorry, um, talking into a mic is hard sometimes. But yeah, you can order it by Thanksgiving, have it by December, um, save a dollar a day, make it happen. If you absolutely can't afford it, get in touch with me. We'll, we'll get it figured out. You can borrow my copy. Um, I know somebody else that's got a copy that you might, you know, might could borrow, or I mean, maybe I'll buy you one. I don't care. Um, if I like you enough. So, um, yeah, get in touch, uh, get plugged into that. And we're going to up our, I'm going to up my content releases to twice a week at that point in time. So keep listening, keep engaging in the content and, uh, really appreciate what y'all have done so far, but this is going to be a step up and, uh, really going to help develop some of the young men that listen to this young men and older men that listen to this. So please take part in that. Um, next we have some kind of deeper questions that I really appreciated. Um, yeah, these were, these were some good questions and one of them has been sitting in my queue for a while. I just didn't really have uh, time to answer it on some of the last ones. So it says, what are the signs of a real leader? I thought that was a really good question. And I, I thought about it for a couple of weeks and I thought, you know, when what, number one, what do I want out of a good leader? So what do I want out of a good leader? And if you're looking at somebody that maybe you want to put in a leadership role, what do you identify um, to say that they're going to be a good leader? So uh, first one I think is is humble and uh, 
let's 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 define humble for a second. Uh, a lot of people, and this is this is going to come a little bit from Andy Frisella. I like the way he thinks about this. Um, I I may misquote him. I, I've listened to a few of his podcasts, but the the general I want to give him credit for the general idea of that people misunderstand the word humble. Um, I may not copy his words exactly, but uh, the, the idea is that you know people misunderstand what it actually means to be humble, and they think that being humble is the guy that says, "Oh, I'm not anything," and you know, "I'm just down to earth," and you know, "Oh, well." everybody's better than me and this this and that and and it basically they substitute it for you know a guy that lacks confidence a lot of the times um and i think that's very very true if if you see somebody who is extremely confident people most of the time will say he's not a very humble person and i don't think that that's always the case i i I think that the true definition of humble is understanding what it takes to be a good person and and believing that everybody else has the capacity to do those things. So for example, if, if I am, um, a really, really good CrossFitter and CrossFitter is the way, the truth and the life people, I mean, just so you know, there's no other thing to do other than CrossFit. Um, yeah, absolute CrossFit stand. Anyway, (laughs) um, that's an inside joke. Uh, say I'm a really, really good CrossFitter. Well, I'm confident in my CrossFit abilities. I know that I can go into the gym and beat 90% of the people there. I know that. I know that I'm good at what I do. But I also believe that this, you know, 300-pound fat guy over here that can't even do toes to bar or, you know, can't even do squats, that I believe that he can be in my position with hard work and effort. And I want to help him do that. I think that's what it really means to be humble. You know, a lot of people will look at the at the <laughs> the guy that's over there doing nothing and and saying, you know, oh, I'm I'm not anything, and this, you know, I'm not anything, and you know, probably never will be. You know, I'm just a just an average dude. They'll say that he's humble, and he might be humble, but um, I think that also, you know, really confident people can be humble if they believe that other people can get to the position they're at and they're willing to help other people do that. So just wanted to clarify that because, um, yeah, a lot of people will project their own egos onto other people that are really confident and say that guy's not humble. I don't, I don't think that's true. And and I don't want you to say, when I say that a leader needs to be humble, I don't want you to go out and look at the guy that, that thinks that he's nothing and be like, that's a, a sign of a good leader. No. Uh, and the next one, the next, uh, the next, sign of a good leader is confident. So they need to be humble and they need to be confident. The last thing you want is a leader that's not confident in his decision-making abilities and can't make a decision when the time comes. That's, that's, that's not good. Um, you need a leader that's, that's able to think on his feet and be confident in the decision he makes and he's willing to own that decision. So for example, say you're a husband and you're leading a household. Say you're a husband, a father, and you're leading a household. Well, if if you're a woman right now listening to this and you want to find a good leader for your household, the, the husband, you need to pick somebody that's going to be confident enough to make decisions and stick by them. Um, if you are the husband, what you don't want to do is get into a spot to where you have to make a decision for the household and then back down from that. That's, that's, that's not, I'm not articulating this extremely well. Basically you, you want a confident leader because in, in life, I don't want to call them life or death situation in really hard situations, somebody has to make a decision. And a lot of times the lack of making a decision will, will cause will cause, cause some really bad things. Um, yeah, I'm not articulating this very well and I apologize, but basically indecision, indecision can cause, um, can cause you to run out of time in decisions. A lot of times, you know, for example, if you never decide whether you want to buy a new house or get a new job or anything like that, then you're never going to. So I'm going to get off of this because I'm not doing very well articulating it, but they, they need to be a confident person. Um, they need to be eager to learn. So if you, if you're looking at somebody that you want to put in a leadership position, uh, they need to be eager to learn. They need to say, Hey, look, I'm confident in my abilities. I think everybody else can be as good as I am, 
but also I've got a lot to learn and I want to learn. Uh, what that means is that when they encounter a problem that they don't know how to solve when they're a leader, say for example, they're a project manager and you, you've put them in a leadership position, they're confident, they're humble, but also if they're not willing to learn, then they're going to get to a point in the project where they, they've, they've found a problem that they don't exactly know how to solve. And they, I mean, one or two things could either happen. They could completely break down because they don't want to learn and somebody else is going to have to step in. Um, or they're going to dig in and they're just going to make the situation worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, they're going to dig into what they think they know because they're not willing to learn. So, uh, eager to learn is, is a big one. Um, because you know, a lot of people think that leaders must know everything that they're about to lead. So for example, a, project manager. They think that a project manager needs to know how to run the excavator, the skid steer. He needs to know how to put all the bolts in. He needs to know how to do all the plumbing. He needs to do how, know how to do all the electrical down to the minute detail. A lot of people think that you have to have 60 years of experience to lead something like that. And the answer is you really don't. You just need to be willing to learn when problems come up. You need to be willing to say, okay, you know, trust people, um, have decentralized command. That's a Jocko uh, value. Have decentralized command. Uh, you trust the people that you work for, but when a problem comes up that they don't exactly know how to solve or that they're coming to you saying, hey, I need a decision made, they need to be eager to learn more from those people in, in order to solve the issue. So, uh, and the last one, they need to have a positive mental attitude. I think in order to be a good leader, morale is very, very important in a team of people. And so they need to be positive in order to maintain that positive morale. Um, if you're constantly, if you want things to work out well, uh, you can't constantly be pessimistic about the things, you know, the way things might work out. That's, that's not how that works. So if, if you really, like I said, if you want to be a leader or if you're trying to put somebody in a leadership position, there may be a guy that's, which if he's humble, I or if he's, if he doesn't have a positive mental attitude, attitude, I doubt he's actually a humble person or confident. So you kind of have to have all of these to have one, I think. But say you're in a position where he's got all these, he's humble, he's confident, he's eager to learn, but he doesn't have a positive mental attitude. He's going to self-sabotage a lot of the times because instead of saying, hey man, today's a great day. We're going to go out and get it. I'm going to, you know, I think that this job is going to turn out well and I'm going to make that happen. Uh, instead of that, he's going to be extremely, extremely negative and that's going to filter down into the crew. And a lot of times, you know, this guy may be negative, but he may be able to still make things turn out well. You know what I mean? He, he may say, say, you know, in his day job, he's a negative person, but he still gets his work done and everything's fine. Well, what's going to happen is his negativity is eventually going to flow down to his subordinates and their work will suffer. So even though he's able to get his stuff done and he's constantly negative, that, that consistent negative attitude will bleed down into the subordinates and somebody who maybe wasn't a negative person before this guy became a leader now is a negative person and it's, it's affecting their, their workload. Because I know people that are extremely negative, they get their work done. Like I, I, I know people people like that. Um, and then they do a good job at it, but they're just constantly bitching about it. Well, other people don't like that. And other people are extremely, uh, they, they can be influenced really easily. And so when you put him in a position, he may be able to get his stuff done, but the subordinates and the people under him aren't going to be able to do that when there's such a negative force, um, at the top of their leadership chain. So yeah, just to recap, what are the signs of a real leader? They need to be humble. They need to be confident. They need to be eager to learn and they need to have a positive mental attitude. Um, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, the, the best I can really do. I, I, I think in order for a leader to be successful, they need to have a good support system. I don't think you can throw a leader, a leader into an absolute trash situation with no support and expect it to always come out well, but that's kind of another conversation for another time. But yeah, if you're looking at somebody and you say, what, you know, I want to put them in a leadership position, what, what, Qualities do they need, do they need to have? Humble, confident, eager to learn, positive mental attitude. So that wraps that question up. Um, next one is going to be this one is a really good question, and I I, I appreciate this question because it kind of helps me define you know I, a lot of things fit into the umbrella of the purpose podcast because I think in order to find you know we we don't talk much about finding your purpose, but I think all the things that we talk about the practical applications of fitness and getting uncomfortable, those things help you fulfill your purpose. So like I say, my, my mission is to help men find and fulfill their purpose. I think we, we focus a lot or I, I mean, it's my fault. 
I focus a lot on the fulfill side of the purpose and not necessarily the finding and hopefully we can get it some more into that and this question is kind of forcing forcing me to do that so I appreciate it but it says how would you help someone who isn't entirely sure of their purpose and where can they start to narrow it down um, first of all I'm going to preface this with the, it's really really situational so I'm going to give you kind of two two situations of people that maybe don't have a purpose yet and what we're going to do in each situation. And one of them is going to be like the Jordan Peterson approach and one of them is going to be kind of my approach because I, I'm not really... Anyway, let me get into it. So it depends on their condition. If somebody is completely broken, I mean just completely broken. So for example... You know, DLN deals with, uh, you know, underprivileged children that have been taken by CPS and they have to go to emergency emergency shelters. These people oftentimes don't have parents. They got caught in sex trafficking, really, really bad stuff. Or, you know, dad beat the shit out of them. Uh, just really, really bad stuff. And when I kind of encounter some of these kids, I don't exactly know. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what to do there. And I think Jordan Peterson has a really good approach on this, the whole clean your room approach. Like, get, get your life in, in order. Understand that, you know, life is suffering and that um, putting one foot in front of the other is the only way you overcome that. So, in specifically finding their purpose, if, if they're totally broken, I, I would start by building their confidence. So, um, these kids, some of them come down either come in really, really broken and they don't have any confidence whatsoever. And so that goes one of two ways from what I've seen from her experiences. Either one, they just don't think they can do anything whatsoever and they break down at the thought of even trying to do anything. And so that's one way that they have no confidence or or they lack so much confidence and they're so insecure, they overly compensate for that. And so she'll get kids in there that have never touched a vehicle. Um, you know, they may be 15, 16 years old, have never touched a vehicle, never learned how to drive whatsoever. And they're constantly telling her like, yeah, I could drive this if I wanted to. Or they're like, you're such a bad driver, which <laughs> she's a pretty bad driver, but um, they wouldn't know. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Sorry, dear. Um but they'll tell her like, oh, you're such a bad driver. I could drive this. I could drive this. I could drive this. And it's because they don't actually have any confidence. So they, they overcompensate for that. When, when you get down deep, they're actually really, really insecure about what they can do. And so they overcompensate with their ego. So, um, two ways to go to that, two ways to go with that is I think, um, building, I think building that confidence, truly allowing them to do things that build their confidence. So for example, um, if they say that they can do something, help them do it and help them be successful. You know, there's kind of two, two ways to go with that. And I kind of set myself up to give you multiple answers with, <laughs> with the way I, I said that. But you know, if you get the, the kid that's really, really super ultra confident and they're compensating and they're really actually insecure, help them do the things that they're going to do successfully. And when they fail a few times, then they're going to realize that they can't just overcompensate for that confidence. And when they finally get some success, they'll actually believe in themselves and they, they'll eventually find out that they don't have to overcompensate. Um, at least I think, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but if I had to do it, that's the way I would do it. Um, is, is, you know, she says, Hey, I can drive. Okay. Take her on an old dirt road and let her drive. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, like let, let her drive. And if she fails, then, you know, obviously do it safely, do these things safely. Um, if she fails, then she fails and she's going to realize that there's a crack in her, in her fake confidence. Um, what it really is, is her ego. There's a crack in her ego. And then what you do is you keep driving until finally she's successful at it. And then she understands that everybody can drive like this. You thought you could, but you really couldn't. And now you've learned how to. And so it's going to slowly build that confidence. We're not going to worry about what is her purpose yet. Um, we're, or his, I know this is a show for young men. We're not going to worry about what his purpose is yet. Um, we're just going to slowly start building that confidence and, and helping him achieve little tasks, uh, helping him fail, putting him in positions to where, you know, he's going to fail, um, and then helping him find success in those positions, uh, team sports, great way to do it. Um, because they're going to fail. I mean, they are going to fail. You're putting them in a position where, you know, they're going to fail. They're going to miss a block. They're going to strike out. They're going to do these things. They're going to fail. They're also going to have success. If you put them with a good coach, they're going to have success. Um, so do things like that. Um, fold clothes, do laundry, whatever it is. Um, and then the next, we're going to find the most immediate purpose. 
I, I, I think, I, again, I'm spitballing here. I'm not a psychologist. This is kind of coming from Jordan Peterson and I'm adapting it for, for the purpose podcast. So I think we're going to find the most immediate purpose. So for example, um, if you can build a kid up and say, Hey, look, your purpose in this house is to do this. And it may not be some grand purpose. And this this dude may be 20 years old. Like if you've got a friend and you're trying to work through this, maybe his purpose is to, you know, find whatever job he's doing, sell to him that his purpose is to go and do that job to the best of his abilities. Um, maybe, maybe that's what we're doing. If he's just completely broken, um, it may be it's to fold the laundry or like Jordan says, clean his room. That That's his purpose. Tell them that you need them too. Uh, that's, that's the other thing is, is a lot of men, uh, especially want to feel needed. They, they, if they don't feel like they're needed in society, that's when they really break down. And that's when they can't find a purpose is because there's no need for them. I mean, it, I don't know if it affects women the same way it does men, but I know for men, when they feel like there's no, when they feel like they're useless, it's absolutely awful. That's what drives men into depression. So make sure, find an immediate purpose around them and tell them that you need them. You know, for example, the dishes, instead of saying, Hey, you have to do these dishes because that's your purpose. Say, I, I really, really need you to do these dishes. Like I'm counting on you to do these dishes. Please don't let me down. Um, that's a good way to, to find purpose, especially with a young man. Oh my God. Tell him that, Hey, look, you know, dad's out of town and, uh, I really need you to step up and do this. Like, I know you want to be a big, strong man. Hell, you already are. You're 16. You're a big, strong man. I, I really, really need you to mow the lawn for me. Uh, I, I can't go without it. You're, you're going to save my day if you mow the lawn for me. And what they're going to do is they're going to find purpose in that, and they're going to go out and mow the lawn. And then we just grow that. We grow, hey, look, I need you to do well in school, okay? And eventually, they're going to start building up that, that self-confidence to where... <laughs> They're, they're going to, they're going to build up that self-confidence to say that they are needed in some aspect in this world and things are going to start going better for them. They're hopefully going to build, start building a better life. And it, again, this is for somebody that is totally broken down. This is for somebody that is almost, um, incomprehensible. Like they're broken. They have no purpose. They come from a rough life they're just completely completely broken. I don't know. I don't have any other way to put it, but, um, and I'll get to the other category in a sec, but again, it's, it's one foot in front of the other, give them purpose, tell them that you need them, uh, build their confidence up. Uh, another thing I should add is remove any hindrances to being, remove any hindrances to fulfilling their purpose. So for example, if you got somebody on drugs and alcohol, remove that. I mean, that's, that's step number one. Uh, their purpose is getting off drugs and alcohol. Uh, that's that's step number one because they're never going to be able to do this if they still got drugs or alcohol or partying or gambling. Um, they're not going to be able to uh, to function if that's still in their life. So that's step number one. But again, what what we're going to do is we're going to give them purposes, small purposes, immediate purposes that they can fulfill, and and hopefully that grows. Again, I'm no scientist, I'm no psychologist, I'm no doctor. If I had if I had to come into that situation and deal with it, that's how I would do it. Um, so your mileage may vary. This is for somebody that's completely broken. That's going to be my plan to, to help them find a purpose. And hopefully eventually they do. Eventually they get married and have kids and they can find a purpose in that. And, or they find a good career. They can find, you know, a fulfilling career like firefighter, policeman, whatever. And, th- and they can find that purpose eventually, but you're going to have to do some very, very rudimentary, rudimentary groundwork in order to make that happen. Um, be selfless, give to them, um, find your purpose in helping them find theirs. Uh, if you're truly in this situation. So my next category is just the average Joe. This is a guy that's not extremely broken. Um, this is, this is the college guy that you all know that you ask him like, Hey man, when are you going to get married? And he goes, Oh man, I'm just kind of having fun. Uh, this is, this is the guy that didn't come from a truly rough life, but he, he doesn't have much ambition and he doesn't have much purpose. Um, yeah, I I think this is the category that I'm a little bit more, um, able to explain because I've had friends that are kind of like this and I think I've helped them in in some way kind of find and fulfill a a purpose. I'd like to think that maybe, maybe I'm being a little overconfident in that statement, but, um, what we're going to do 
<laughs> what we're going to do there is we're going to start with what we want. And I've actually had friends do this uh, when they couldn't really, uh, they were, they were self-sabotaging themselves with things that they said, I want this and I want this and I want this. And those things conflicted. So what we're going to start with is, is what do you really want out of life? So another way to put that is where do you see yourself in five years? Do they see themselves with a wife, with a family? Um, so ask those questions. If you're somebody trying to help somebody else, and if you're somebody that needs to find their purpose, I'm asking you this. Do you want a wife? Do you want a family? Do you want a nice house? What kind of job do you want? Do you want to work 40 hours a week? Do you want to work 80 hours a week? Do you want to travel? Um, what do you want to do? Figure that out first. And if you truly don't know, start trying to fi- start trying to find that. Find people that you look up to. Find people on Instagram that when you scroll by their, their pictures, you're like, damn, I, I kind of want to be like that guy. What does he have? Does he have a wife? Does he have a family? Um, now, Instagram's hard because, you know, it's what people want you to see. But again, this is we're talking about an ideal life anyway. They're showing you their ideal life. And so use that. This guy looks like he's got a good family, looks like he's got a good wife. This guy looks like he's got a nice house. Maybe that's what you want for yourself in an ideal world. So we're going to write all these things down. So put all of these things down. And then I want you to try to rank them. So for example, if you really think that you want to have a family, like if, if you really think, I know you're maybe not in that position yet, but if in five to 10 years, you really want to have a wife, that's, that's your goal. Um, do you want to be alone at 40 or do you want to have a wife? If you're alone at 40 with all the nice things that you can ever imagine and you're okay with that, then don't put having a wife as number one. But if you think you're going to be miserable at 40, which the the science shows that you are, um, if you're alone and have all the shit that you could ever want, um, statistics says that you're probably going to be miserable. Um, I don't have anything to quote, but then, (laughs) statistics say you're probably going to be miserable. So don't put a wife as number one. But if you think you really are going to be miserable with all the other shit on the list, if you don't have a wife, put having a wife at number one. Um, Kids, put having kids at number two. Okay. Then let's say you want to travel. Put having, putting travel at number three. Then let's say your ideal place to work. Say you want to be a project manager at this and this company. Say you want to be a welder with this and this company. Okay. That's, that's your ideal place to work put that at number four or, 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 or maybe, um, you care more about the house that you have than you do the, tr- the, the job that you have. If you say, well, I don't really care what I'm doing as long as I have the money to pay for this house and then put the house at number four and then we can work the job out later. So that, that's what we're going to do. We're going to rank these things in order of importance to where you're at right now. And next we're going to try to find a path towards these things. So I know this is kind of hard to conceptualize and I've done this myself and I'm working through it. Eventually I'm going to have a, maybe a book or something out about this that, that to where we actually get to do this exercise. But the way I did it is, is I tried to find a path to get to that. Okay. Well, I need to find a wife. Okay. Well, (laughs) what do I need to do to find a wife? I need to get in shape. I need to start talking to women. I need to, um, have a decent job, a job, not maybe not the job of my dreams yet, but I need to have a job. Okay. So try to find a path to get to these goals and work them all in. And what you'll eventually find is that some of these goals may not align. So for example, if you want to travel the world and you want to have a super demanding job, well then you may not have time for a wife. And if traveling the world and having a super demanding job are four or five spots below having a wife, you may have to cross one of those off for now um, or move it way back in, in your time schedule. Um, you know, when you're, when you're figuring out your path, maybe traveling the world moves from step two to step 20 because you got to find a wife first. So I know this is kind of hard to conceptualize and I've done it a few times, but when I've found guys that are truly lost, that this is kind of what I've had them do. And I think it's really helped them. Um, you know, because the reason that they're not going and looking for a wife is because number one, they don't know where to start. Number one, they don't know if they want a wife. That's why they're not looking for a wife. Number two, they have these conflicting ideas and they don't know which one to chase. And typically they go for the easiest path and, um, they end up regretting that They'll They'll go for the easy path of say, Oh, I want to travel the world. And they later on regret not having a wife yet. 
So by forcing them to rank these things and to find a path to get there, what they end up realizing is, oh, hey, man, I'm kind of running out of time. I need to find a wife. You know what I mean? Like, I need to find a wife. And this whole traveling thing, like, I want to travel with a wife. You know, uh, I want to travel with a wife and a kid, or I want to have somebody to travel with. So do that, rank these things that you actually want, and eliminate any conflicting, conflicting, um, conflicting priorities. So for example, I kind of talked about it. You may have to move around traveling the world or say if your job, say your job is going to force you to travel. It's going to work 80 hours a week and you're not going to make much money, but you think it would be a cool job to have a firefighter, for example, and you don't think that you can find a wife uh, having that job. Well, then you may not need that job. You may need to pick something different. So prioritize your prioritize your wants and needs. Uh, Try to find a path to get there and then work around any conflicting uh, conflicting wants and needs. I know that's, that's kind of hard, um, doing this with a day's notice, but that's what I've done in the past for myself and what I've helped other guys do. And I think if you sit down and at least start, uh, you'll be able to kind of work it out. So how do we find our purpose with that? Um, we find our purpose by identifying the number one want, uh, and the number two want, And, and we say, we go get, we go get that. So for example, you identify a few things that you want, like a wife, well, then your purpose automatically becomes to be a good husband. Um, Yeah, I I think that's because this is kind of hard to conceptualize and maybe I'm fucking it up, but we're going to talk through it anyway. Um, Because in order to be a good husband, say, say you finally identified that you want to, you want a wife and maybe that's three or four years down the road. But if you listen to like the last episode that... Sam and I did in order to be a good husband that that work starts now. Um, so if you've identified your purpose as to be a good husband one day, then then find your purpose in that and go start hitting the gym, go start making money, go start saving money, uh, go start looking for a wife, go do those things. And that's your purpose is to eventually be a good husband one day. Um, if you're second on the list and you want to be a good firefighter, but you're 16 years old, and maybe you can't be a firefighter yet. Well, your purpose is still to be a firefighter. You just have to do the pre-work to get there. Focus on that purpose. Go to the gym every day after school. Um, start studying firefighting techniques. Like do these things that that give you a sense of purpose that that you can eventually have. I, I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, maybe maybe it's a combination of the first one and the second one. Of okay, I eventually want to be a firefighter one day, and that's gonna be my purpose soon. But I'm gonna start with the most immediate purpose right now. Maybe my purpose is to be a gym rat, and that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be the best gym rat ever. Um, maybe maybe that's what it is. So I know that's kind of a a, a hard. I don't know if I explained that well. I don't know if I answered your question very well, but at the very least, it's going to force another episode on it. And so I hope you'll tune in for that. And I appreciate you asking the question and I hope it's somewhat satisfied what you were looking for. And I know that I'm going to sit down, do some writing on the topic and hopefully come back to you with a better laid out plan, better fleshed out plan that I can present in a full episode because I think it's very important. How do you find your purpose? How do you find it? Uh, I think that's a good question. I've kind of tried to give some answers here and I hope that they hope that they worked. So um, next on the list, I don't know that I have any more super deep questions. I am looking at my uh, next page. I don't have any more super deep questions. So we're going to get into how I won the lottery. Um, yeah, <laughs> been super excited to tell you this, uh, tell you guys this for a couple of days. Um, I won the lottery and I don't know if you could tell in, in the way I've been acting the past few days, some of you that kind of know me, but, um, I hit it big, man. Absolutely hit it big. 100% hit it big. So it completely changed my life. I, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to go from here. Um, but I'm going to try to figure it out and let, let me start, let me give you some context. Okay. Let me give you some context. So on Tuesday, somebody had mentioned at my work that the lottery had gotten super, super big, that it, it was now at like a billion dollars or whatever. And uh, I never really buy lottery tickets. I don't, I don't really do that. I don't gamble in general. I mean, even, even on like pool games, I'm hesitant to even gamble just because I don't see the point in it sometimes. But when it gets really, really stupid big and I'm like, hey man, I could absolutely change my life for the price of $3. And that's what I did. But uh, <laughs> I'll go buy a ticket. Okay. So 
<coughs> I went and sorry for the cough. Um, I went and bought a ticket. But the, these people were talking about it at my work and they were saying how big the lottery was and how they went and bought their tickets. And I thought it might be a cool a thought experiment. I was like, hey guys, what, what would you do if you won the lottery? Like, what would you do? Um, if you won that amount of money, what what do you think you would uh, you would do with that? And, you know, I got the, the typical answers. You know, one person was like, oh, well, I've got everything super, super planned out, you know, with me and my fiance and we're going to we're going to do this and we're going to do this. and We're going to put the money back and we're going to live on, you know, X amount of dollars a year. And that's what it's going to be. And, you know, I got the, oh, well, I would probably give a lot of it away because I remember when I was struggling. And so I would probably give a lot to charity. And there was another guy that said, oh, you would never know if I won the lottery. I'd be the same person as I was. And, um, hell, I'd even come to work for something to do. And so another guy, man, I just want a cabin on, you know, in the mountains. That's all I want is just modest little cabin in the mountains. And so, what I'm shortening it, but we actually spent like 30 minutes on the topic of what we would do if we won the lottery. And I didn't really speak. I asked them the questions. So I kept asking them more questions. Nobody really asked what I would do for the lottery. So I don't really have a (laughs) a story about how I, you know, spoke it into existence or anything. But um, so we talked about this for about 30 minutes. And at first I I was kind of cynical about it. I was like, man, I don't think any of these people actually know what they're going to do you know, when they win the lottery, like give it all to charity. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I, I was, I was pretty cynical when I first started. Um, and then I kind of backed away from that. And on a more positive note, I was like, man, I, I actually, you know, these people through just one little question of what would you do with this, you know, ungodly amount of money? Um, I got them to really step back from their current lives and think about, think about the lives that they really want. And I, I don't think that these are, you know, a lot of times when we get into day jobs and we get into the monotony of it and we're living paycheck by paycheck, sometimes people will absolutely refuse to look, look forward. And they think that they're so far away from their goals. And this is kind of an Ed Milet thing to where I actually got them to, to live in a world where they thought they were closer to their goals than what they really were. Um, and the answer is that you are closer to your goals than what you really are. So for example, the guy that said that he wanted a cabin in the mountains, he's only like 30 something. Okay. He's, he's so close to having that. Like if he really, really wanted that, you know, it, it, if that's what he was going to do with like $600 million, if he really wanted that, he's so much closer to that than what he realizes. He's maybe, he's maybe five years away from that. If he really puts his head down. Um, so getting them to kind of think about that was really, really cool. And, uh, you know, I thought about it. I thought about what I would do with $600 million and, um, so I went on my lunch walk and I, uh, yeah, I went on my lunch walk. And so I thought for like 30 minutes about what I would do if I won the lottery, went out and bought my tickets later. Um, but for 30 minutes, I just, I sat there and just thought about what I would, it was the most planning I've ever done in my life about my life. I mean, literally it was the most planning I've ever done for 30 minutes straight. I just sat there and talked about all the things I would do, um, when I got handed this, this sum of money. And then the last 15 minutes, I, you know, I looked at my phone cause I've, I've got a timer on and in the last 15 minutes, I just, it hit me. It hit me like a freight train. I mean, literally hit me like a freight train. We have won the lottery. I won the lottery. Okay. I won the lottery. So I tried to find some good statistics and I couldn't really find any solid like peer reviewed articles, but some people have done some numbers and my chances of being born were one in 400 quadrillion. Okay. That's what they think it is. I don't know how they get to that number, but it sounds good and it serves my point. So I'm going to use it. Um, one in 400 quadrillion, the chance of my DNA being in my exact situation and, and coming to fruition in the form of life. Okay. And I know God plans everything out and, but if you really look at the at the chances, if we're, if we're trying to understand the spiritual with the scientific, one in 400 quadrillion chance of being born, that, that God chose me to be born that day. That's that's way better, okay? I think I wrote, the odds of winning the Powerball are one in 292 million, okay? I don't even know what the fuck a quadrillion is, okay? I'm pretty sure it's past a trillion. But one in 400 quadrillion chance of being born and odds of winning the Powerball are 100, or one in 292 million, Okay. So I've already won the lottery and, and that's the stick. I didn't actually win the lottery. I'm still a broke piece of shit. <laughs> um, still broke son of a bitch, but, um, 
I, I did win the lottery. I won a whole lot more than the lottery. I, I want a life that I get to choose what to do with it. So, and if you say, well, that's not good enough because if you didn't win, you would never know. And da, 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 da. You can get existential on me. That's fine. That's, that's completely fine. Um, I started thinking just in, in the realm of people that are alive today, let's not use the birth, you know, wanting 400 quadrillion chance of being born. Let's not use that because it could cause all sorts of philosophical arguments. <laughs> in order to make a, in order to be in the 94th percentile of income globally. Okay. This means that you're in the top 6% of income earners in the globe. Okay. Around the world, the top 6% of income earners, earners, what do you have to, what do you think you have to, I want you to guess, guess how much an hour you have to earn. Yeah. It's less than that. It's $12 an hour, $12 an hour for you to be in the top 6% in the world. Okay. You need to make $50,000 a year to be in the global 1%. Okay. I, I forgot to check how much an hour that is because I know somebody lives hourly. That's, that's not that much. I think $50,000 a year is a little bit more than 17. That may be like 25 bucks an hour. Okay. I know that's a lot to some people. A lot of people, especially the people that I was talking to at, at my place of business, they made that or more. Okay. To be in the top 1% in the globe, you have won the lottery. Okay. That your chances of being bored at the time and place that you were having the parents that you did growing up the way you did and put you at a job to earn more than $12 an hour. You've won the lottery. I've won the lottery. Okay. I make significantly more than the $50,000 a year. Okay. I, I'm in the top 1% of the globe. I have won the lottery. Now, a lot of that's through hard work. Okay. Where did I get the sense of hard work that came from my parents that came from the people around me that came from the school that I was put into by chance. Okay. I won the lottery. All right. And what, what got me thinking about this was that they had won the lottery too. Okay. I spend a lot of time thinking about my life. It's, it's part of the, it's part of the reason that I am where I am. This is, this is where the confident part comes out. Um, I've done a lot of good things in my life and I know I have, um, making the amount of money that I make at 23, having a house, having a wife, um, having the network that I've got at 23, I've put in a lot of, of legwork to get that done. And I know I'm sitting pretty in, in terms of how my life is going to go. Um, if, if I don't fuck it up, it's going to go pretty well for the next, you know, however long, but the reason that that's happened is because I've looked, I've put a lot of forethought into what my next few years are going to be or my next 20 years or my next 30 years. So I'm kind of experienced doing this. But when I encounter people that don't, they don't, um, they're not happy with where they're at and maybe, maybe they're not achieving their potential. They don't want to look forward into the future. Okay. They don't want to say, Hey, look, I know things are tough right now because I make $50,000 and I'm a single mom with three kids, but their, their framing is wrong and their perspective is wrong. They've won the fucking lottery. For $50,000, you're in the top global 1%. Okay? You've won the lottery. If I ask you, and I understand that there's a big difference between $50,000 and there's there's... To you, the listener, you say, well, ha, $600 million, that's that's so much different than 50000 You're expecting people to act like they've got $600 million? Okay, well, number one, they do have $600 million compared to some poor people in Africa, okay? It's $50,000 a year. Um, they do have, that, that's, that's just as inconceivable to other people that are in maybe the bottom 1% of the globe. That's just as inconceivable as $600 million is to you. So let's talk about reference here and let's talk about perspective. So yeah, I understand it's hard to do a lot of things in America with $50,000. You still hit the lottery and you could still make the best of it. Okay. Um, that's, that's kind of the point here is if you're so willing to put all of this, take 30 minutes out of your workday, people that I know that had things to do, um, to, to, and I'm not talking, disparaging them, but I know a lot of people will, will react like this. They, you know, they'll take time. They'll take 30 minutes, an hour daydreaming about what they'll do when they've won $600 million when they've already won the global lottery. You're already here. You were born in America and by God, if you were born in the state of Texas, even better. Okay. Um, you've won the lottery. So start acting like it. Start planning your life. Like you've won the lottery. Stop sitting on your ass. 
okay, at night and not thinking about what you're going to do, okay, what you're going to do with the hand that you've been dealt. It doesn't take a three bo- a $3 fucking Powerball ticket and $600 million for you to, to, to plan effectively and live your best life off of what you've been given. Okay, if you make $12 an hour, I, I want to I reiterate this. If you make $12 an hour, you're in the 94th percentile globally. Think about that. Okay, 94th percentile globally. Wild, wild. Why are you not making the best of it? Why instead of sitting down and planning strategically like you've done with the lottery, okay, and, and if you're really honest with yourself, a lot of people, they don't think that they would buy a bunch of stuff with the lottery. You know, they don't think they would blow it all. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying figure out how to spend your $12 an hour to where you blow it all. A lot of people think that they'll plan. That's what they first mentioned is that, oh, I'm going to plan and I'm not going to blow it all. Okay. Well, with $12 an hour, luckily it's kind of hard. I mean, it's easy to blow it all, but you, you still got to pay bills. You can't just go and buy all the shit that you want. So I think it's a little bit easier to even plan with twelve hundred or with twelve dollars an hour. Plan what you're going to do and start figuring out how to build that. That's that's also what a lot of people when they get the lottery, their first thing is, oh well, how am I going to build on that money? Or at least it should be. God, that was mine. You know, commercial real estate or whatever. So start thinking about what you want your life to look like because you've already won the lottery. You're in the land of opportunity. You're living the American dream. Okay, think about what you want your life to look like and try to figure out a plan to get there. Okay. So I know, I know I'm ranting and raving, but that, that was just the thought that, and I had another thought, but I think that we're going to do it in an episode later, but I've won the lottery. I'm so grateful for where I'm at in life. Okay. The, the, the chance of me being here is so slim, so slim. I mean, God forbid I was born in (laughs) Oklahoma or something, but you know, God forbid I was born in Kenya. You know what I mean? Where I don't have those opportunities like what I do now. Okay, or South Africa or South America. Like, God forbid I was born there and I don't have those opportunities like what I do now. Okay, so you've won the lottery. If you're listening to this on your fucking iPhone with your Spotify, I don't know how much you make, but you've won the lottery. Start acting like it. Sit down right now, plan your life out, go look at what you want to do, and act like you've won the lottery because you have. Um, Stop taking it for granted. Stop. We're done. We're not taking it for granted. So I want to kind of help you get some, now that I'm done yelling at you, um, I want to help you work out what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some tactile solutions to this. I'm not just going to leave you with, hey, quit being a piece of shit and go plan your life out. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to help you work through this. So it's going to be very similar to how we help somebody find their purpose. Uh, write all your things out in a list of importance, eliminate conflicting plans, uh, find, find the path that best fits. I think that's a good, a good plan. And I know it's not again, very detailed and it's going to be better. I'm going to eventually put an actual plan in place that, that helps people do this. But, um, you know, an actual workbook or something that helps people do this, but write things out that you want. I'm not going to cover it completely again, like the purpose, but write out what you want out of life. Okay. And a a lot of times just by putting it on paper, putting pencil to paper, you're going to realize that maybe you don't want the things that you thought you wanted, or maybe you do want some things that you didn't think you wanted. So just start by writing it out. Again, if you want a wife, put down wife. If you want kids, put down kids. And the process will flow, I promise. The next thing that we're going to do is called visualizing. Now, I am not an ep- I'm not an expert on visualizing. Uh, it's it's basically the concept of visualizing is that you sit down and it's almost like meditation to where you clear your mind, but then in your mind you visualize being in the place that you want to be. Okay, so instead of telling you how to do this and trying to act like an expert about it, I'm going to take the Nick Shelton approach and I'm just going to tell you what I do. This this is what I do when I visualize. Typically, depending on the circumstances, sometimes I like to go no music. Sometimes I'll, I'll put on something without lyrics that's not going to make me think and put it on really, really soft. So for example, sometimes I'll visualize in my truck before work. Um... Or sometimes I visualize in the evening, but there's something else going on that I've got to drown out. So I'll put on some music, and I've got a. Uh, it's it's actually kind of funny. I listen to like bluegrass music that doesn't have the lyrics, and I put it on really low, like some fiddling, and uh, 
And so I'll put that on really, really low, something that's not going to affect my brain and it's going to help me lock in. Classical music would be great. And I don't know if that's recommended. It's just what I do. And I'm going to steal this trick from Nick. I'm actually, for me, I got, I picked up on this really easily. I've kind of got a, a pretty good imagination and that's not bragging. That's just, I didn't know how hard this was for other people. So apparently this is really difficult and I'm going to have Nick on to talk about it, what he does. Cause I don't know if it's difficult for him or if he just has a really good process for it. But, um, what I, I kind of stole from him when I'm having a tough time getting into my visual visualization state, it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it does. I'm going to start with envisioning myself walking into a movie theater. So it's going to be me. I'm going to envision myself in the third person watching myself walk into a movie theater. Okay. I'm going to smell the popcorn. I'm going to feel the door handle when I, when I pull it open. Okay. I'm going to swipe my card for the tickets. All right. I'm going to feel all these things, something that's not consequential to my life, but just walking into a movie theater. I'm going to do all these things, uh, in my brain and visualize myself doing it. And then we're going to go into the movie theater. Okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to pick a spot and we're going to watch it. We're going to watch the film start to roll. And then we're going to watch ourselves. We we are ourselves (laughs) in a movie theater and we're going to watch ourselves on the screen. Uh, Nick said juggling. Um, I don't really... I don't know. I, I, I do so, I do something that I actually want to do. So like shooting a bow. Nick envisions himself juggling. I don't know if there's a, a process behind that because it's kind of random and non-important. So I don't know if that's the point. Um, for me, by the time I've got the movie theater warmed up, I'm already pretty ready to go into my visualization state. So I'll, I'll envision myself doing something like shooting a bow or lifting some weights. And then I get really, really specific. So one of the first steps to visualization, I think, is to create a vision board. And what that is, maybe I'll post mine on, uh, maybe I need to update mine. I'll post it on Instagram. Um, what that is, is you're going to put scenes and, and reminders of what you want your life to be like in the next, I did one year, five years, 30 years and 50 years. So kind of what I wanted in that time range and just kind of put it all together. And it, what it does is it, it gives me a source of what to put in my brain when I, when I think about those things for, so for example, on mine, I have a, uh, uh, let's see, I have a really pretty landscape of a ranch with a river running through it. That's, that's what I want in 50 years. Uh, honestly, in, in 10 years, I'd like to be living on a ranch with a clear river running through it, not a muddy river. And, it, and this matters. Okay. Envision exactly what you want. I don't want some muddy Brazos ass river that, that, you know, looks like shit. I want a clear river that I can go into and swim in and I want it to have good access to it. I mean, it's, it's this, it's this complicated. Okay. I didn't pick one out that had cliffs on it. No, because I want to be able to get in the river. So I picked out a very specific image that I said, I want something that looks like that one day. And I put it on my vision board. Houses. I picked out, so this one was one that it was kind of hard to get specific, but I picked out two houses that what I wanted the outside to look like, what I wanted the backyard to look like. So I put those on there. Um, let's see. So... Uh, at one point I, I thought I wanted to do, and I thought I wanted to have an ammo factory and I still think I would like to. And so I put an image of a big ammo factory on there. Um, what's the other one I have? Oh, I have 405 pounds sitting on a barbell on the ground and I, eventually I want to deadlift 405 pounds. Okay. So that's what we're doing. We're creating a vision board. And when you sit down and you've gone through the movie theater, you've envisioned yourself doing something on the screen, in the movie theater, now you're going to envision yourself in these in these situations. So another one of mine, and this is one I visualize a lot. Number one, because it's very important to me. Number two, because it's it's really easy for me to visualize. And typically, it's my first one that I visualize before um, I get into the other the other things. And what that is is shooting an elk with a bow. So eventually, I want to take down an elk with a bow, and I can see it right now. This comes from I think it's a Cam Haynes thing to where he kind of described the scene and I'm mimicking it closely, but I want to have the sunrise, um, behind me. And so, you know, either morning or sunrise or sunset behind me, I want to see a big, massive elk out there. Okay. I want to see a big old daddy elk. All right. The herd bull. 
I want to see him standing out there and I want him to be slightly quartering away so that I know that I can bury it into those lungs um, you know, or broadside. I, I envision him quartering away. Um, and what that means is that he's slightly facing away from me at an angle. And I always bring my bow. I envision him coming into the scene. So a lot of times he kind of gallops up and then he gets kind of close to me and he stops and he puts his head down and then he walks in and walks past me and he's quartering away from me. So he's not exactly looking at me, but I can see him doing things with his antlers and he's lifting his head up. And then, um, what happens is I get everything ready. I range him. Um, this is important because when I actually get to this moment, I want to have visualized it correctly for years and years and years and years. So I range him automatically, range him, get his range, and typically he's at about 40 to 50 yards, okay? I would like to be closer, but I think it'd be really cool to make a shot at 40 to 50 yards, and I think that's practical. So he's around 40 to 50 yards, and I think it's almost, it's like 45 almost every time, and I already got my arrow knocked. I check my sight tape, which is extremely important. I always check my sight tape, maintaining contact with the bull or eye contact with the bull and, uh, and, and looking at my sight tape, I clip my release on. And in this, in this, uh, in this vision, I have a different release than what I have now because eventually I want to shoot with the thumb. So uh, again, this is all very accurate. I know what the thumb feels like. I, I found the thumb that I wanted and I went and tried it out and I put it in my hand and I felt it. Okay. I know what this thumb feels like. And when I'm doing this, I'm smelling the, the, mountain air. I'm smelling the, the rain from the night before. I'm feeling my bowstring. Okay. When I put the D loop on, I'm feeling the, the wrist release. I know it because it's got, <laughs> it's got a, uh, what do they, what do they call it? It's got a barrel. It's called a barrel on a thumb release and it's got spiraling away chevrons, almost like a, uh, let's see. It's almost like a, um, kind of like a gear. Uh, it's, it's hard to put it, but it's spiraling away chevrons. And I can feel that on my thumb because I went to the bow shop and I felt it. Okay. I know what this re- release feels like. It's an aluminum. It's like an anodized aluminum. And so I've got it in my hands and then I draw back and always when it, whenever I'm drawing back in my visualization, I engage my lat. Um, I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, you must take this very seriously in order for it to work. Okay. I engage my lat when I go to draw back. All right. I look down my peep. I center the, the, uh, I center the, uh, the pin right where I want it. And I visualize this. Okay. I'm hearing him while I'm doing this. I'm hearing my release click because I know what that click is like in my ear. Um, then what I do is I pull through the shot and I envision, I actually like to envision, I like to watch the arrow hit and then I like to imagine myself as the arrow. So we've all seen those camera shots to where something's moving through space. Like maybe it's a bullet or whatever. You've seen it in the cool movie shots. I like to envision myself as the arrow and, and my vision goes right to the place that I want it. So very, very quickly, I drive right into the lungs, okay, of that elk. And then I step back again as myself and I see it hit the bull. I see him take off. Okay. And I see my arrow laying on the other side, knowing that I got a full pass through. All right. I visualize that all the time. I try to do this daily. Okay. Um, one of my, one of my dreams is to do that. Okay. So let me get back to the original point here that I wanted to give you a tactical solution on how to visualize. That's how I do it. And then I move on. That takes me, that vision takes me a couple minutes and then I move on to what I want my house to look like. And a lot of times it's a badass kitchen. Sometimes I never get out of the kitchen. <laughs> Literally when I, when I do my house visualization, I just stay in the kitchen the whole time. It's got a big badass fridge. It's got like a six burner stove. It's got a big ass double sink that I'm never going to use because I got a wife. Uh, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, I envision my freezer section sometimes, uh, just because I love to cook so much, but, um, I envision my house. I, then uh, one of my favorites too is being in the gym because I do that so often. I can feel like it, it, it's so wild. Even right now, I can feel the barbell in my hands. I can feel what the Neuralink feels like on the barbell. Um, I can feel my legs loading up. I can feel the sweat uh, coming down my face. I can taste the sweat. You know, when you get the sweat in your mouth, I can taste the sweat. I can hear the, the, the clanking of other people lifting weights. 
okay? I, I envision putting the weights on, okay? I don't just envision myself standing in front of 405 pounds. No, that's not what you do. You walk into the gym. You show up at the gym. You walk into the gym. You go and you get your barbell. You set your barbell down on the ground. And then you're going to have to put in all that work to haul. I don't, it's not 400. It's whatever 405 minus 95 is. What is that? That's what? 300 or not 405 minus 45. So I don't even know. What, what 365 or whatever, hauling all those plates back. Let's simplify it. You're going to haul all those damn ass heavy plates back and put them on the bar one by one. And it's going to be four on each side. So you're going to haul eight plates back. I feel what every plate feels like because we use bumper plates. Okay. I understand what that feels like. I put it on the bar. All right. I, I'm not going to continue to bore you with this, but I am going to ask you to do it. Uh, it it's so... A lot of people say that it takes a long time for this to really come into effect, and I think it does. Um, I mean, I've only been doing it for a couple months, and I haven't seen anything out of it, but I haven't been doing it for long enough. So um, do this. Visualize. I promise you. I promise you that you will it, it, You will get a benefit out of it. Um, I haven't gotten the benefits yet, but I'm dreaming big, and I'm getting very close. So visualize, go listen to podcasts about visualization. Uh, Andy Frazella is really big on it. I'll have to get, let me see. I think Nick has a YouTube video about visualization. So Nick Shelton on YouTube, I think he's got some videos. I'll put some resources out on how to visualize from other people. So that's how I do it. Go learn how other people do it. Um, We're going to go into the next step. So once you're done visualizing, uh, you have to put in the work because you can't just visualize and then be a piece of shit on the day to day and expect those things to come true. So the last thing I have, and this again, this ties back to you. You've won the lottery. If you're listening to this, you've won the lottery. Stop, stop acting like you haven't. Okay. Start acting like you've won the lottery. And what we're going to do is we're going to put effort into the, the things that you want to do. Okay. I highly doubt that if you won $600 million, you just wouldn't go buy that house. It would just be too difficult. Okay. Start putting effort in the things that you want to do. You've won the lottery. What do you want to do with your life? Start putting effort towards those things. Okay. Um, yeah, find something and stick with it. If you want to be a good husband, stick with being a good husband and put the effort in to do that. Okay. If you eventually want to have a really, really nice house, start saving your money, start making more money. Okay. And start learning how to buy a house and do that. Stick with it and don't let your dreams fall by the wayside. And one of the ways that we're going to keep the dreams in the forefront of our mind and the goals that we have in the forefront of our mind is we're going to visualize. Okay. Those two go hand in hand. All right. You need to visualize what you're going to do in order for it to be important enough for you to put the work in. Okay. These two, you can't have one without the other work. So visualizing doesn't work without the effort and the effort doesn't work without the visualizing because what you're going to do is you're going to, if you don't constantly envision yourself in that space and you don't constantly think it's possible, you're eventually going to stop putting the work in. Okay. Because you don't think it's possible. Whereas if in your mind every single day, you've actually put yourself in that position that becomes your mental reality. Um, then you're going to continue to put the work in and you're going to continue to be motivated to do it. So guys, I think that's what I've, I've got for you. Um, yeah, the, the, like I said, this just hit me like a freight train. Sorry for lying to you and tell you I won the lottery. I mean, I did, but uh, different lottery, lottery of life. Okay. And you have to, so start acting like it. That's all I've got for y'all. I appreciate you participating, coming to the book club in December. Thanks for listening guys. Appreciate it.